0: So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God.
1: And I've spoken a couple of times this morning about all good things come from God and uh, now it's also the opportunity for us to, to give to the Lord uh, for the work of his kingdom both here and abroad. And I've got three uh, points that I want to make about this. Um, firstly, I want to... Uh, suggest to you the importance of remembering the gospel. Secondly, I want to examine some of the evidence of the testimonies, uh, the testimony of the apostles, and thirdly, we're going to look at evidence from the Old Testament. As most of you know, today is Australia Day, or as I was driving here today, I saw on a, a sign at a bus shelter that it's Sage Day Day, um, but I'll go with Australia Day. And even uh, better, tomorrow is a public holiday. And we're often reminded at this time of the year that we should celebrate the great diversity of all the different people groups who live here in Australia. And not only do we have various people groups, but we also have a great diversity in religious beliefs. And if you look at the statistics on the PowerPoint um, from 2011 census, I can tell you that 61% of the people who were surveyed identified themselves with some form of Christianity there were 22% of the people who didn't have any religion at all and then you can see statistics there about some of the other main religions and we shouldn't forget the 65,000 people who identified themselves with the Jedi religion. So, is Christianity the truth? So, given all these different belief systems, can, can we have confidence that what we believe as Christians is true? Does the message of Christianity stand up to scrutiny? Is it reliable? If you went to Sunday school or youth group, how can you know that what you were taught was real? How can you know what your parents or your minister taught from the Bible is true? How do you know that what we have been taught is not just someone's opinion or it's just been a made up story? I'm asking these questions because a big problem for many people who call themselves Christians is doubt. They have doubts about all sorts of things. Some of you might even have doubts about whether you're even a Christian. Others have doubts about whether you're going to heaven or if there is, even is a heaven. There are those who have doubts about whether Jesus is going to return. Some have people, Some Christians have doubts about whether they can trust the Bible so how can we be certain? Peter is writing in chapter, in chapter 1 of the uh, second book of Peter, he's writing to these Christians because he doesn't want them to have doubt. He wants Christians to have certainty about their new identity and their faith. He wrote to them, we looked at this last week in verse 10 of chapter 1, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. So how can we have the kind of certainty and confidence that Peter is writing about? This morning as we read through the verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, 12-21, we're going to try and find the reasons why we can have confidence in the Gospel. And firstly we're going to look at the importance of remembering the Gospel. If we're going to have the kind of certainty in the Gospel that Peter is urging us to have, then we need to know what the Gospel is And we need to be reminded of it constantly. At this point, it's important to realise and to understand why Peter is so keen to remind them of these things. In chapter 2, if we skip ahead a little bit, we can see that there are false teachers among these Christians. And these false teachers are accusing Peter of making up stories that have no basis to them. And we also know from chapter 1 in verse 14 that Peter... He's soon, he knows he's about to die, and so there's an urgency about what he writes. He doesn't want them to forget what they have already learnt, and so he reminds them again of the gospel. It doesn't matter if you've been Christians for just a few years or for many years, being reminded of the truths of the gospel is one of the great remedies to overcome doubt. If you are rarely reminded of the message of the gospel, the more likely you are to have doubts and wander away from what you've learnt and the more likely you are to have doubts about your faith and start believing in something that's been either added on or taken away from the Gospel message. Peter knows the importance of remembering the Gospel and so he mentions it three times in the first few verses. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, I will always remind you and then in verse 13 it says, I think it right to refresh your memory. And then again in verse 15 it says, I'll make every effort so that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. That's one of the reasons why we meet here week by week. That's why we meet the Bible study and prayer regularly. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But we shouldn't just do these church activities as good as they are so that we merely remember facts about the Gospel. We're to be reminded of the Gospel so that it will shape every aspect of our lives. Knowing the Gospel is about a relationship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus. This relationship is to reflect what we have become and how grateful we are and to to be marked by the qualities of a godly life. We read about them last week. In verses 5 to 7, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. Yes, we can have confidence in the Gospel by being reminded of its truth but this can't be separated from how we are to respond with godly living. Peter wants to give his readers a reminder but what does he remind them of? What are these things? What is this truth that they now have? He doesn't want to give them new teaching. He simply wants to remind them of what they already know. The temptation for some people who teach the Bible is to come up with something different, something more exciting. But Peter knows that this is where the problem of false teaching begins. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an English preacher, said the business of the church end of preaching is not to present us with with new and interesting ideas. It is rather to go on reminding us of certain fundamental and eternal truths. And so, what were his reminders in the first part of chapter 1? Peter reminds them of who they are. In verse 1 it says, people who have received a precious faith. And then in verse 2, they have received grace and peace from God Peter reminds them in verse 3 of God's promises to equip them with everything they need to live and persevere as Christians. And then in verse 11, there is a reminder that God's people will enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. What a wonderful reminder. This is such good news. Be reminded of these things that we already know and why wouldn't you want to be reminded? Will give us confidence in the faith that we have received. I mentioned earlier that Peter somehow knew that he was going to die soon. Jesus had predicted the way in which he would die and historical records say that Peter died a cruel death at the hands of Nero soon after this letter was written. So what we are reading here is really something like Peter's final wishes. He knows that life is temporary. He says in verse 14 that his tent, he describes his body as a tent But he's not consumed with the temporary pleasures of this life. What does consume him is his desire that Christians will be able to remember the Gospel. Look what it says in verse 15. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. How is it that you know the Gospel? You know it because it has been written down in the pages of the Bible and it's been passed on to you. This church has been here for 127 years and has been passing on the gospel from one generation to the next. It is our responsibility to make sure that the gospel is passed on to the next generation. You might know the, uh, the game Chinese whispers where someone whispers something to the next person and then they whisper what they think the message is to the next person sitting in the circle. Sometimes the message gets muddled because someone hasn't heard it properly The problem is, in the game, that the person can't go back to the person who originally gave them the message to see if the message is still the same. And so unlike Chinese whispers, we can be confident that what we pass on is the original message of the apostles when we teach the next generation of believers. So how can we have confidence in the Gospel? The second thing that uh, Peter points us to is the evidence of his eyewitness account The next part of what Peter writes is this eyewitness account of a significant event that should give us confidence that what he writes is reliable. He's not telling us something about something he's heard from someone else. He was there with other people and witnessed and confirms what he writes about. The event that we know is the Transfiguration that we read about earlier. It's also found in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke. It's also alluded to in the Gospel of John when he says we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But why does Peter write about this event in particular? He writes about the return of Jesus because this is one part of the Gospel message that was being distorted. In verse 16 it sounds like Peter and the apostles were being accused of of following cleverly invented stories about the return of Jesus, but he denies this. Perhaps they were being accused of using scare tactics to scare people into the kingdom, to scare them into righteous living. In fact, in uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says that scoffers will come and they'll say, where is this coming, he promised. It's no different today, is it? People might acknowledge that Jesus was a historical figure But to say that he's going to return, well, that's just ridiculous. He again responds to false teaching by confirming the truth of what he's both seen and heard. So what did he see? And with James and John, what they had was a glimpse of Jesus in all his glory. They had a foretaste of what Jesus will be like when he returns as the king, as the one who will be both ruler and judge over all things. In verse 16 it says that they saw the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and were eyewitnesses to his majesty. They also saw Elijah and Moses. But when God the Father spoke, he didn't say anything about them. All the honour and all the glory was given to Jesus. It was Jesus who was declared to be the Son of God. The words of God and Jesus are particularly rich with meaning when we think about what they are alluding to. In verse 17 God says, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. In Psalm 2, which is what we describe as a messianic psalm, it's predicting the coming of a future messiah or king. God speaks to the son saying, You are my son, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And also in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 14 and 16. We're reminded that one day a king would sit on the throne of David and rule forever. It says, I will be his father and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then the second part of this statement that God says about Jesus, which says, with him I am well pleased, That points us back too to another Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 42.1 which says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. God is identifying Jesus as the one appointed to be both king and judge over the nations. Peter wrote about the Transfiguration because he had complete confidence in the return of Jesus, and so can we. The fact that so many of these eyewitnesses were willing to die for their testimony, knowing it to be true, gives further weight to his words. We can have confidence in the Gospel because it's verified by eyewitness testimony. And we can have confidence in the Gospel also because it's established on the words of the prophets. Peter just doesn't say that we can have certainty because of of his own eyewitness testimony, but you can be even more certain because of what you read in the Old Testament. I don't think that Peter is saying in verse 16 that the Old Old Testament prophecies are more certain than the New Testament accounts of the transfiguration. What he is saying is that God has spoken again and that the events of the transfiguration give further evidence to what God has already spoken through the prophets. So what does Peter say about the word of the prophets? He says in verse 19, You'll do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We're given two reasons why we should pay attention to it. Remember, firstly, we're reminded that this world is a dark place The fact that there are many people, they try to discover what the future holds by looking at horoscopes or delving into the New Age religions or into other religious sects. And this is a sign that they are in darkness. On the other hand, God's own word is the light that shines in this darkness. The light that is described here is the kind of light that shines into a murky or a dirty room. It points towards Christ as the light who has come into the world. It's the light that points us to the one who came and suffered on our behalf and, but who will also come and return as judge and king. Old Testament prophecies are a light that give us certainty that Christ will return to this dark place. We should pay attention to what the prophets have said. Until when? Until Jesus returns. We are not to deviate to go off track like the false teachers had done from what God had spoken through the prophets. And we're also told in verse 19 that a day will dawn and a morning star will rise in our hearts. Again, we can only really fully understand the meaning of these words if we go back to the Old Testament. The day that will dawn refers to what the prophet Malachi said in chapter 4, that a day will come when this world will face judgement. For those who reject God's rule, this will be a terrible day. But for those who revere the name of God, there will be healing and freedom. And what about the morning star? Jesus is this morning star who will come again. We can know in our minds that this will happen and we can have confidence that Christ will return. But when that day comes, it will no longer be a future event that we look forward to it will be something that we will experience personally in our hearts. And as we come to the last two verses of chapter 1, we are given more evidence why we can have certainty in the Bible. We can have confidence in the Bible because it is God's word to us. These are not the prophets' own subjective words, they are not made up stories or visions about the future. They are God's word to us that have been spoken by the prophets. Let's read verse 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We can see how important it is to know that scriptures come from God because of the first two words in verse 20. Above all. This stresses their importance. Above all, while we recognise in verse 21 that men spoke, they only did so as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This term carried along, it's the same word used to describe a ship being carried along as the wind fills its sails. The ship doesn't move by itself, it is driven along by the wind. In the same way, these prophets didn't speak their own words but spoke the words of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. This should give us confidence to believe that God's word can be trusted. And so before we finish this morning, I want to draw out a few points so that we can each apply them to us here on Australia Day 2014. Application number one, remember the gospel. We can have confidence in the gospel but we need to know it. We need to keep being reminded of what the Bible says, not some new variation of what the Bible, but what God has spoken in his word. Before we um, came here this morning and started our worship service, I was praying in the back with some of the elders and one of the elders here has been here for a very long time and he prayed that we would come here and remember the truth. And it was such an encouragement that he keeps coming here week by week, year by year, not listening to some new message but the message written down in the Gospel. God's nature is that he is unchanging and so are his words. When you have the chance to go to an event that is designed to present the basic truths of the Gospel, what do you do? Do you go or do you say, well, I've heard it all before? Do you refuse to go to a growth group because you think it'll be boring to study the Bible every week and being reminded of the basics of the gospel? When you teach young people how to write, and uh, do you teach them you teach them the alphabet before you move on to writing words and then sentences and then stories. When you learn how to write, when you've done so, you don't need to go back and have alphabet revision, do you? And while we need to mature and grow as Christians, we need to place our confidence in the simple truths of the gospel. We need to keep going back to them. When Peter wrote this letter, even though he was near death, he was still passionately reminding them of what they already knew. He was passionate that they would be able to remember and that the next generation would be able to remember as well. Get involved in whatever way you can so that we will remember and pass on the gospel. Application number two, have confidence that Jesus will return. Peter has written this letter primarily to encourage Christians to persevere in their faith because they were being confronted with false teaching. This false teaching said that Jesus isn't going to return. They ask, where is his coming? This life is all there is. Once you die, that's it, nothing. Do you realise the implications of this? If Jesus is not going to return, then our faith is completely useless. This world will remain forever in darkness. There will be no judgement for those who rebel against God. They can live any way they like knowing that their lives have no eternal future. There will be no reward for those who have been redeemed. We can be confident that Jesus will return because the apostles were eyewitnesses when they had a glimpse of Jesus in all his majesty. And this should make a difference to the way that we live, that we have an eternal future ahead of us. And we can have even more confidence because the Old Testament prophets have confirmed that a Messiah would come as both king and judge. Application number three, have confidence that the Bible is God's word. When Peter confronted the false teachers of his day, it forced his readers to make a decision about the authority of the scriptures. If you don't believe that the Bible is God, then whatever faith you claim to have is really just another cleverly invented story. If you don't trust in the authority of the Bible, it's still possible that you might believe in Jesus, but he's just a Jesus of your own creation. If you don't trust in the reliability and the truthfulness of the Bible, you can't have any assurance that God has forgiven you. You can't have any certain that God will keep his promises or that you'll be with him forever. That kind of faith has no power to save you and has no power to transform you because it is not a faith from God or it is not a faith in God. But God's word is powerful and can be trusted because it's from God himself. This morning I want to encourage each one of you to put your confidence in God's word. Remember it, live it, pass it on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and I pray that each one of us will be able to do the things that you tell us to do, that we'll remember what you have done for us, that you have transformed us, that you give us power to live, that you will come again. And I pray that you would help each one of us to do what we can to pass on this message to the next generation and to remember and be ready because your son is coming again as judge and king.